Chapter Forty Eight of the Channings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. The Channings by Ellen Wood. Chapter Forty Eight Muffins for Tea. A week or two passed by, and November was rapidly approaching. Things remained precisely as they were at the close of the last chapter. Nothing fresh had occurred. No change had taken place. Tom Channing's remark, though much cannot be said for its elegance, was indisputable in point of truth, that when a fellow was down, he was kept down, and every dog had a fling at him. It was being exemplified in the case of Arthur, the money so mysteriously conveyed to Mr. Galloway had proved of little service towards clearing him. In fact, it had the contrary effect, and people openly expressed their opinion that it had come from himself or his friends. He was down, and it would take more than that to lift him up again. Mr. Galloway kept his thoughts to himself, or had put them into his cash-box with the note, for he said nothing. Roland Yorke did not imitate his example. He was almost as explosive over the present matter as he had been over the loss. It would have pleased him that Arthur should be declared innocent by public proclamation. Roland was in a most explosive frame of mind on another score, and that was the confinement to the office. In reality, he was not overworked, for Arthur managed to get through a great amount of it at home, which he took in regularly morning after morning to Mr. Galloway. Roland, however, thought he was, and his dissatisfaction was becoming unbearable. I do not think that Roland could have done a hard day's work. To sit steadily to it for only a couple of hours appeared to be an absolute impossibility to his restless temperament. He must look off, he must talk, he must yawn, he must tilt his stool, he must take a slight interlude at balancing the ruler on his nose, or at other similar recreative and intellectual amusements, but to apply himself in earnest he could not. Therefore there was little fear of Mr. Rollins being overcome with the amount of work on hand. But what told upon Rollins was the confinement. I don't mean upon his health, you know, but his temper. It had happened many a day since Jenkins' absence that Roland had never stirred from the office except for his dinner. He must be there in good time in the morning, at the frightfully early hour of nine, and he often was not released until six. When he went to dinner at one, Mr. Galloway would say, "'You must be back in half an hour, York. I may have to go out.' Once or twice he had not gone to dinner until two or three o'clock, and then he was half dead with hunger. All this chafed poor Roland nearly beyond endurance. Another cause was rendering Roland's life not the most peaceful one. He was beginning to be seriously dunned for money. Careless in that as he was in other things, improvident as was ever Lady Augusta, Roland rarely paid until he was compelled to do so. A very good hand was he at contracting debts, but a bad one at liquidating them. 
Roland did not intend to be dishonest. Were all his creditors standing around him, and a roll of banknotes before him, he would freely have paid them all. Very probably in his open-heartedness have made each creditor a present over and above for his trouble. But failing the roll of notes, he only staved off the difficulties in the best way he could, and grew cross and ill-tempered on being applied to. His chief failing was his impulsive thoughtlessness. Often, when he had teased or worried Lady Augusta out of money to satisfy a debt for which he was being pressed, that very money would be spent in some passing folly arising with the impulse of a moment before it had time to reach the creditor. There are too many in the world like Roland York. Roland was late in the office one Monday evening, he and a lamp sharing it between them. He was in a terrible temper, and sat kicking his feet on the floor, as if the noise, for it might be heard in the street, would while away the time. He had nothing to do. The writing he had been about was positively finished, but he had to remain in, waiting for Mr. Galloway, who was absent, but had not left the office for the evening. He would have given the whole world to take his pipe out of his pocket and begin to smoke but that pastime was so firmly forbidden in the office that even Roland dared not disobey. "'There goes six of them,' he uttered, as the cathedral clock rang out the hour, and his boots threatened to stab in the floor. "'If I stand this life much longer, I'll be shot. It's enough to take the spirit out of a fellow, to wear the flesh off his bones, to afflict him with nervous fever.' "'What an idiot I was to let my lady mother put me here. "'Better have stuck to those musty old lessons at school "'and gone in for a parson. "'Why can't Jenkins get well and come back? "'He's shirking it, that's my belief. "'And why can't Galloway have Arthur back? "'He might if he pressed it. "'Talk of solitary confinement driving prisoners mad "'at their precious model prisons. "'What else is this?' I wish I could go mad for a week if old Galloway might be punished for it. It's worse than any prison, this office. At four o'clock he went out, and now it's six, and I have not had a blessed soul put his nose inside the door to say, How are you getting on? I'm a regular prisoner and nothing else. Why doesn't he? The complaint was cut short by the entrance of Mr. Galloway. Unconscious of the rebellious feelings of his clerk, he passed through the office to his own room, Rollin's rat-tattoo having ceased at his appearance. To find Rollin drumming the floor with his feet was nothing unusual, rather moderate for him. Mr. Galloway had found him doing it with his head. Two or three minutes elapsed, and Mr. Galloway came out again. "'You can shut up, Rolland and then take these letters to the post. Put the desk straight first. What a mess you get them into. Is that will engrossed? Yes, sir. Very well. Be here in time in the morning. Good night. Good night, sir, responded Roland. Yes, it's all very fine, he went on as he opened the desks and shoved everything in with his hands, indiscriminately en masse, which was his way of putting things straight. Be here in time, of course, no matter what time I am let off the previous evening, if I stand this long. 
Rollin finished his sentence by an emphatic turn of the key of the office door, which expressed quite as much as words could have done, for he was already out of the room, his hat on his head, and the letters in his hand. Calling out lustily for the housekeeper, he flung the key to her and bounded off in the direction of the post office. His way lay past Mrs. Jenkins' shop, which the maid had, for the hour, been left to attend to. She was doing it from a leaf taken out of Rollins' own book, standing outside the door and gazing all ways. It suddenly struck Rollin that he could not do better than pay Jenkins a visit just to ascertain how long he meant to absent himself. In he darted with his usual absence of hesitation and went on to the parlor. There was no hurry for the letters. The post did not close until nine. The little parlor, dark by day, looked very comfortable now. A bright fire, a bright lamp, and a well-spread tea-table at which Mrs. Jenkins sat. More comfortable than Jenkins himself did, who lay back in his easy-chair, white and wan, meekly enjoying a lecture from his wife. He started from it at the appearance of Roland, bowing in his usual humble fashion and smiling a glad welcome. "'I say, Jenkins, I have come to know how long you mean to leave us to ourselves,' was Roland's greeting. "'It's too bad, you know. "'How'd you do, Mrs. Jenkins? Don't you look snug here? "'It's a nasty cutting night, and I have to tramp all the way to the post office.' Free and easy Roland drew a chair forward on the opposite side of the hearth to Jenkins, Mrs. Jenkins and her good things being in the middle, and warmed his hands over the blaze. Ugh, he shivered. I can't bear these keen easterly winds. It's fine to be you, Jenkins, basking by a blazing fire and junketing upon plates of buttered muffins. Would you please to condescend to take a cup of tea with us, sir? was Jenkins' answer. It's just ready. I don't care if I do, said Roland. There's nothing I like better than buttered muffins. We get them sometimes at home. "'But there's so many to eat at our house "'that before a plate is well in, "'a dozen hands are snatching at it and it's emptied. "'Lady Augusta knows no more about comfort than a cow does, "'and she will have the whole tribe of young ones into meals.' "'You'll find these muffins different from what you get at home,' "'said Mrs. Jenkins in her curt, snappish, "'but really not inhospitable way, "'as she handed the muffins to Rolland.' I know what it is when things are left to servants as they are at your place. They turn out uneatable, sodden things with rancid butter nine times out of ten instead of good wholesome fresh. Servants' cooking won't do for Jenkins now, and it never did for me. These are good, though, exclaimed Rollin, eating away with intense satisfaction. Have you got any more downstairs? Mrs. Jenkins, don't I wish you could always toast muffins for me. Is that some ham? His eyes had caught a small dish of ham in delicate slices put there to tempt poor Jenkins, but he was growing beyond such tempting now, for his appetite wholly failed him. It was upon this point he had been undergoing Mrs. Jenkins' displeasure when Roland interrupted them. The question led to an excellent opportunity for renewing the grievance, and she was too persistent a diplomatist to let it slip. 
Catching up the dish and leaving her chair, she held it out before Rollins' eyes. "'Young Mr. York, do you see anything the matter with that ham? Please to tell me.' "'I see it looks uncommonly good,' replied Rolland. "'Do you hear?' sharply ejaculated Mrs. Jenkins, turning short round upon her husband. "'My dear, I never said a word but what it was good.' "'I never had any other thought,' returned he with deprecation. "'I only said that I could not eat it. "'I can't. Indeed I can't. My appetite is gone.' Mrs. Jenkins put the dish down upon the table with a jerk. "'That's how he goes on,' said she to Rolland. "'It's enough to wear a woman's patience out. "'I get him muffins, I get him ham, I get him fowls, I get him fish.' I get him puddings, I get him every conceivable nicety that I can think of, and not a thing will he touch. All the satisfaction I can get from him is that his stomach turns against food. I wish I could eat, interposed Jenkins mildly. I have tried to do it till I can try no longer. I wish I could. Will you take some of this ham, young Mr. York, she asked. He won't. "'He wants to know what scarcity of food is.' "'I'll take it all if you like,' said Rolland, "'if it's going begging.' "'Mrs. Jenkins accommodated him with a plate and knife and fork, "'and with some more muffins. "'Rolland did ample justice to the whole, "'dispatching it down with about six cups of good tea, "'well sugared and creamed. "'Jenkins looked on with satisfaction, "'and Mrs. Jenkins appeared to regard it "'in the light of a personal compliment,' as chief of the commissariat department. "'And now,' said Rollin, turning back to the fire, "'when are you coming out again, Jenkins?' Jenkins coughed, more in hesitation for an answer than of necessity. "'I am beginning to think, sir, that I shall not get out again at all,' he presently said. "'Hello! I say, Jenkins, don't go and talk that rubbish,' was Rollin's reply. "'You know what I told you once about that dropsy. "'I heard of a man that took it into his head to fancy himself dead, "'and he ordered a coffin and lay down in it "'and stopped in it for six days, "'only to get up at night to steal the bread and cheese. "'His folks couldn't think at first where the loaves went to. "'You'll be fancying the same, if you don't mind. "'If I could only get a little stronger, sir, instead of weaker,' I should soon be at my duty again. I am anxious enough, sir, as you may imagine, for there's my salary, sir, coming to me as usual, and I doing nothing for it. It's just this, Jenkins, that if you don't come back speedily, I shall take French leave and be off some fine morning. I can't stand it much longer. I can't tell you how many blessed hours at a stretch I am in that office with no one to speak to. I wish I was at Port Natal. "'Sir,' said Jenkins, thinking he would say a word of warning in his kindly spirit, "'I have heard that there's nothing more deceptive than those foreign parts that people flock to when the rage arises for them. Many a man only goes out to starve and die.' "'Many a muff, you mean,' returned the self-complacent Rowland. "'I say, Jenkins, isn't it a shame about Arthur Channing?' "'Galloway has his money back from the very thief himself,' as the letter said, 
and yet the old grumbler won't speak out like a man and say shake hands old fellow and i know you're innocent and come back to the office again arthur would return if he said that see if i don't start for port natal i wish mr arthur was back again sir it would make me easier he sits and stews and frets and worries his brains about that office and how it gets on without him tartly interposed mrs jenkins a sick man can't expect to grow better if he is to fret himself into fiddle-strings i wish repeated poor jenkins in a dreamy sort of mood his eyes fixed on the fire and his thin hands clasped upon his knees i do wish mr arthur was back in a little while he'd quite replace me and i should not be missed hear him uttered mrs jenkins that's how he goes on well concluded roland rising and gathering up his letters which he had deposited upon a side-table if this is not a nice part of the world to live in i don't know what is arthur channing kept down under galloway's shameful injustice jenkins making out things are all over with him and i driven off my head doing everybody's work good night jenkins good night mrs j that was a stunning tea i'll come in again some night when you have toasted muffins end of chapter forty eight recording by patty cunningham